God that you'll do whatever he wants you to do before he tells you to do it or before he tells you what it is. Now, we're all, we're all great Christians in here. I would, I would, I would. No, really. Would, would, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus where, wherever he sends me, whatever he asks me, wherever he takes me. How many of you would raise your hand? He said out of 600, three or four kids raised their hand. That was it. They were being honest. It's a big, scary world out there. It really is. You know, but God is bigger than the world. Amen. I am so thankful to be here. Last time I was on the island was Dick's funeral. I loved him. I really did. I miss him. I know you all do too. I don't feel bad for him. He's in heaven, you know. But uh, uh, to get the invite to come back to me is a, is a real blessing, and I want to... Am I, am I, is this thing working? I, I guess it just works and you don't even know if it's working or not, huh? That's the Lord, amen. I, I, I do have to tell you, though, a story about your pastor. I hate to tell these stories about pastors. You get to know a guy and you hear these things and stuff, you know. But I heard about, you know, he wears these cowboy boots and everything, you know. Do you, you hear about when he taught his boy how to ride a horse? Oh, yeah. He, he told his boy, he, he was really good about it. He said, you know, you walk up on the left side of the horse. You always walk up on the left side of the horse. You know, you, that's what you do. And you put your, you know, you, you get your foot in the stirrup. You take your, your, your left foot, you put it up in the stirrup. Now, back then he could. Now he probably couldn't do that. He'd need a step ladder, or the boy would have to give him a boost, you know. But, but that's okay. He said, son, he said, said you, put your, you put your left foot in the stirrup. You grab the saddle horn. And back then, he could also do this. You throw your weight over the horse. Now, I think he'd probably need a boost doing that, too, you know. We'd have to get Josh and somebody else to help get him over the horse. He said, you throw your weight over the horse, you put your foot in the other stirrup, and then you take the reins, and, and you're ready to go. And about that time, that horse took off. The horse just flat took off. And he raised up his right hand, and he is just a hooting and a hollering and riding this horse trying to teach his He made such a fuss, the manager came over, unplugged that horse, and wouldn't let him ride it anymore. You are not allowed now. Only because he is so much older than me does he understand that joke. <laughs> because they don't have horses in front of the grocery stores anymore. But there he was, in front of the old grocery store, learning how to ride a horse. He, he kind of said that, that, that he wanted us to, to share our testimonies. Uh, I am not worthy of the honor that this church has, has already bestowed on me. I, I seriously am not. Uh, I came to Alaska in February of 1974 with the Army up into Anchorage, assigned to one of the Nike Herc missile sites. Uh, the one, if, if you, A, B, C battery. B battery was up on top of the mountain at Arctic Valley, and I was a military policeman, and that's where I was assigned. I got my nuclear security, surety, and, and we were, you know, so if you see the Christmas star up, up there on, on uh, by Arctic Valley, I used to change the light bulbs. And that was, that was back in 74. And I was, a, I was an E3 of PFC. And a, a year went by, and in about a year, a little over a year, I met this young lady down in Anchorage. Now, I was I'm from upstate New York, uh, a Catholic background. Um, uh, we were pretty much C&E Catholics, you know. 
Christmas and Easter we went to church. We go on Lent every once in a while, and we get smudged up and stuff, and, 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 and we do all that stuff, you know. And, 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 and something happened when I was in the sixth grade in school. When I was in the sixth grade in school, the Pope came out and said you could eat meat on Fridays. Now, how many of you remember that you couldn't eat meat on Fridays back then? Yeah, you couldn't do it. The school cafeteria would have fish sticks or macaroni and cheese. Nobody ate meat on Fridays. But all of a sudden, he changed the rules. I thought, huh, how can you just change the rules? And I know I began searching then because I wanted something that was just, that was just, well, I met Connie, and we got to uh, uh, seeing each other. And, and one day, we were, we were sitting across a table from each other, and she looked at me. And she said, she asked me, what are you thinking? Hmm, what are you thinking? And I said to her, this, this, is, this is the true version of the story, by the way. She has her version. I'm telling you the truth. I am the preacher. She is hushed. I said, well, I'm thinking that I ought to ask you to marry me. And she said, go ahead. And I said, no. She said, go ahead and ask me. Just ask me. I said, I'm not going to ask you. I was 20 years old. She was 19 years old. Both of us, I, I, I weigh more now than the two of us weighed together then. We were young. She was as cute as a bug. I was, I was like Robert Redford, man. We were going to, man. And she said, I dare you. Last dare I ever took, preacher. Will you marry me? Yes. This April will be 49 years that we've been married, her and I. I went back up to, the, to, to, the, to, to my, I had a room underneath the Ray Dome up there on the mountain. I came back down the next day to see her. She stayed, she was in Anchorage, lived in a trail with the, another gal. From, she was from the Nilchik, from a little village in Nilchik. And uh, she said, I can't marry you. Well, why not? You just said yes. I mean, you dared me. I took the dare. We got to do this thing. She said, because you're not saved. Now, Connie grew up. Connie's mom was in her teens. Two young ladies got off a barge in Nanilchik. The barge would run from Kenai or from Anchorage to, to Homer and then to Soldovia. And, and this is how people got, there was no highway back then. There was no road. It was just a village. There was Aliu, Connie's Aliu. It was a village on the river. And two young ladies in their 20s got off the barge and said, we're going to start a Bible study for the glory of God in this village. And Connie's mom was one of the teenagers that got saved. I mean, the story goes a lot longer than that, but I'm trying to give you the condensed version. And Connie started going to, a, when she was born, started going to a little mission church with a missionary. And he preached the gospel, and Connie got saved. And somewhere in the back of her mind, and Connie was in rebellion then, and it, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't ideal. This is, this is not a story made up in heaven. But Connie knew. She just knew. Some things were just instilled in her. And she said, I, I can't marry an unsaved man. And I said, what's that? Now she's nervous. I'll tell you what, if you don't tell people about the Lord regularly, and, somebody, and you're confronted with the situation, and I'll tell you this, the Lord doesn't give you the spirit of fear. 
He gives you power, love, and a sound mind. You have learned in this church what it is to be saved, how it is to be saved, and you can talk to anybody you want about it. If you remember John 3.16, now I was a Catholic. I had never, ever opened the, 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 this book. The priest did it for me. I mean, I didn't have to. She quoted John 3.16. And then she quoted Romans 10.13. Now, I know after 49 years, because this month, 49 years ago this month, I got saved, I know that, that uh, I polished it up, and I'm a preacher now, and I'm supposed to, you know, do all this stuff. But, but faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So she said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I still fight Catholicism in my own life. And I still fight Catholicism out on the street and in my church. I hate legalism. I hate it. You know, I, I just, I, but that verse, the Holy Spirit said, John, you can't do it. I have to do it for you. All you have to do is ask. I knew it. I knew it. I just knew it then. I got saved in Anchorage, in a trailer. Forty-nine years ago. And I was, I was a worthless Christian. You have no idea. I, I, I tell my church now, if they had known me back then, they'd have never called me as pastor. They wouldn't. The prophet has no honor in his own country. And, and, and sometimes we, we, we grow up through things and, and we get over things. And God gets us into a state where he can use us. And then he brings somebody in your life that gives you this testimony. We got married the 5th of April, 1975. And uh, the Army kind of, we didn't get out of the Army until 1980. Army told us we couldn't have a child, and, and uh, uh, the, the doctors, I had some medical problems that created an environment where we couldn't create children. And uh, uh, 1981, I decided to go to college. I went to college in, in the University of Alaska, got a degree in petroleum technology, because I figured if we can't have children, I'm going to work on the oil patch, make some money, some decent money, and we'll travel. We'll just do that, I figured, you know. Why, why not do that? I was, it was like the first semester, second semester of school. Connie goes to a, a, a ladies' prayer meeting in the afternoon, a little Bible study prayer meeting. I think, I think now all the ladies that were there are with the Lord. I don't think any of them are still alive. Connie's mom included. Connie's mom was a part of that group. And she said, ladies, she said, if you will pray with me, I will have a child. She said, because I found a verse in the Bible and, and I can do that. What's the verse? Jeremiah 33, 3. Who wants to quote it for me? Can, anybody, can, you, can you quote it? Jeremiah 33, 3? Connie, what's it say? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. That afternoon, her, her mother, and her aunt drove 40 miles to Homer to buy baby stuff. I got home from school, and she said, look what I bought. I'm going to have a baby. And I took her mother out on the back porch, and I probably never have chewed her out that badly ever before. I said, you don't know what it's like every month when her heart is broken. You don't know. You're going to hurt her. You're setting her up for a huge disappointment. And eight months later, we had a little girl. Truth. Our Jasmine. 
only baby we ever had. Told her, she, you know, I only had one, so she had to get on the ball. She has five, and they're all in Ketchikan, and I baptized every one of them. I baptized my oldest grandson's fiance uh, and did his wedding at the cross there in Ward Cove. We did it out on the beach, you know. But anyway, going back, back to, to that, that's when I started getting, getting busy in the church. I started going on visitation. A guy named Stan Tucker was our pastor, and he started taking me with him, and he started teaching me. And he had a little Christian school going, about six kids. He says, hey, so do you want to preach? I'd never preached before. Do you want to preach chapel? I said, how long do I have to preach? He said, oh, 20 or 30 minutes. It's really, it's easy. Okay, I'll do it. So I prepared and prepared and prepared and practiced and practiced and practiced. Had the thing down to about 25 minutes. Man, I was ready. You know, Arlene knows what happened. When in that morning, 90 seconds, I shot every bullet in the gun. <laughs> I didn't have anything left. Gave them everything I had and preached my first sermon. I was baptized in that church. I was married in that church. My mom told me that, that I called her. I called my mom. I said, Mom, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart to save me. She said, oh, that's good. I said, uh, uh, Connie and I are going to start attending after we get married, a Baptist church. We, but for a while, we went to Anchorage Baptist Temple, and then we, I went to them little missionary churches. I love them little churches. She said, oh, that's good. I said, I'm going to be baptized next month before we get married. She said, no, John, you've already been baptized. I said, no, Ma, I've got to do this. Now listen to me, listen to me. I never talked to a preacher about it. I just knew in my heart I needed to be baptized. I just knew it. Mom said, if you get baptized, you're no son of mine. And she told my friends in upstate New York that I died in a car accident in Alaska. For five years, if I called home, she'd hear my voice. She wouldn't even say hello. She'd just hand the phone to whoever was closest. Connie kept up with Mom and kept up with Mom. I'll really condense this. 21 years later, Mom called me to tell me that she accepted the Lord as her Savior and asked if I'd preach her funeral, watching videos of me preaching. And this is, this is the way I like this thing. I can use this thing, can't I? Because for, for Mom, it, it was, it was uh, uh, Mom, and then she would go to the church, and then the church would take her to God. And I remember preaching the sermon, uh, and, and, and the one she watched, she said, John, she said, this is wrong. I don't need the church. It's got to be like this. It's got to be mom to God. And God established the church for me to grow and for me to fellowship and for, and for me to get strong and for me to stay strong. This is the way it needs to be. You don't, you, you don't have to go to church to get to God. You don't have to, but let me tell you something right now. You're not going to grow in the Lord without a church. You're just, you're just, that, that's just not going to happen. And mom got this. And she called me to tell me she got it. 1996, I was an anchor point pastoring. And uh, in 2004, she went home to be with the Lord and I preached her funeral. 2003. Three or four. Yeah, three or four. So I, I don't know what else to, to, to throw in here. Connie... Connie got saved. Um, 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 she was she was uh, young. She, 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 had, she had to, do I have to give my testimony? She didn't have to give any testimony. She married the best-looking preacher in the world. 
Well, I mean, you know, ask her. Just ask her and she'll tell you, you know. God has been so very good to us. 27 years ago, we came to Ketchikan. <coughs> Actually, it'll be 27 years next month. And, and, and God has been very good to us. So take your Bibles. Do you have any questions or anything? I, I love talking about, you know, yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff. God, God, I tell people this. We talk about God reaching down to the uttermost. With me, God reached down to the guttermost. Those absolutely, and, and I've asked myself the question, why me and not one of my brothers? Why me? My sister Julie, and I think I shared with a preacher this, this testimony. My sister Julie wasn't saved. And one day I had to run to Lake George and get Connie a piece of corn. We were at the outlet store. Julie rode along. We, we drove, and, and on the way, she broke down and she confessed that she had had an abortion as a teenager. Well, Julie, that's, that's really something. And, and let me tell you, let me tell you, and I don't mean to, if anyone in here has ever had an abortion, my heart goes out to you. I, I don't want it. There's no disrespect intended. I love you. And, and you have to be careful because I, I, sometimes I can say things that hurt people and I don't mean to. You know, but Julie, th- this hurt her. She, she never got over the hurt. She never did. Don't you ever think that a woman that gets an abortion is victimless? Because it, it hurts. So she made this confession to me. Now, I told there were six kids in my family. I was the first of the litter. And, and uh, out, of the, out of the six kids, Julie was number two. And I said, we have five black sheep and one white sheep in our family. Julie was the good one. Julie was the one that brought the family together for family reunions. Julie was the one that stayed with my mom. Julie was the one that did all the good stuff. Julie, 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 Julie. Well, see, we were Catholic. So as far as a Catholic concern, if I got more good than bad, then, then I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm just going to keep doing good because the good will get me into heaven. Or at worst, it'll get me into purgatory and you could pray me into heaven. Light some candles, throw some money in the, in the box, you know, and you can get me into heaven. So I said to her, we were driving in the car. I said, Julie, I said, uh, you can't do enough good to get, to get over this one, can you? She said, no. I just, it, it, she was crying. I said, Julie, you got to give this to Jesus. Jesus is the one that forgives your sin. You can't. You can't do enough good. You can give all your money to the Lord. You can come to church 10 times a week. You, you can do anything. You can't do enough good to get saved because one tiny little bit of, of sin and the whole thing is putrid, the whole thing. Well, two days later, we went to dinner with, or at lunch with my mom and one of my brothers. And on the way to lunch, I was leaving the next day to fly home. I said to Julie, we need to talk. She says, I know, I know. After lunch, we'll talk. Cool. She sits across the table from me. This is a true story. My mom was here. Matthew is here. Julie was here. Julie reaches and she reaches and she gets my mom's hand and Matthew's hand. She says, I have something to tell you. Okay. She said, uh, uh, and she said, John, she said, don't you start crying. I like to cry. She said, I asked Jesus to come into my heart to save me the other day. I didn't know it. That's what I wanted to talk to her about. She thought I wanted to talk to her about where to go to church. 
Julie died just a few years later of ovarian cancer. I was at her funeral in Queensbury, New York. She's with the Lord now, with my mom. We put my mom's ashes in the end of her coffin. And, and, and I, I remember I sat right down the aisle for one of the Catholic priests that taught me when I was a boy. And a guy named Jeff Kelly, a church planter, preached a great funeral, a great funeral. And we glorified God. There was Julie. And, and, and you know, I want to thank God for that. I just, God is so good. If I do this, what will happen if I do this here? God is good? All the time? Good. Now, listen, when it gets really tough and it gets really bad, God is good all the time. So if God is good all the time, God is good right now. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I could, I, I could stand up here and, and tell stories for the whole hour, but I don't want to do that. I, I think the Lord would have me do this. The Apostle Paul loved the people of Ephesus. He spent quite a bit of time there. And he, I, I don't think he really wanted to leave, but he knew he had to leave. And he just loved them. And there was one, one thing that, that he thought was the most important lesson that he could teach the people of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And it's right here in Ephesians chapter 3. Read along with me as I read in verse 14. It says, uh, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, now here it is, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. God wanted them to know, or Paul wanted them to know, how much God loved them. Heavenly Father, Lord God, just, just give us grace these next few minutes. And Lord God, bless, and thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first lessons I taught my church in, 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 in Ketchikan when I got there and, and, and if, if, if you write in your Bibles, if you take little notes, write this down for me, please. And, and your pastor's probably already told you, but, but I believe this with all, with every, every fiber of my increasing worth. God will never love you any less. God will never love you any less. I've met so many defeated Christians that thought, well, I did this, John, oh, it's, oh, God can't use me. God can hit a good lick with a crooked stick. I, 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 so many people that think, God, God gets angry. My dad used to get angry with me, but didn't mean he loved me any less. I hate it when my dad would send me out to the, we had a great big lilac bush on the side of our house. You know where I'm going with this. I had to cut my own switch. Oh, I didn't want to do that. And if, if it was too wimpy a switch, I got it twice as bad. Oh, I'd have to go out and cut another one. Oh, my goodness gracious. And, and Dad, Dad would use that switch on me. But, but he, he, he did it because he loved me. He did it because I, I, I had to learn not to lie. He did it because I had to learn not to steal. He did it because I had to learn to work hard to be a man and be a man of my word. It, it, he, that's, that's why 
this isn't a Catholic home. This is a, this is a non-Christian home that really was about as far from Christian as, as, as you can be. But Dad had to teach me to be a man because he loved me. God has to teach us because he loves us. He wants every one of us to be a usable tool. I don't know if you guys have ever grabbed a hammer and where the head just kind of wobbles on it. You know, they don't have these wooden handle hammers like they used to anymore, you know. And then you take a little wedge kind of thing and you drive it in the top, you know, and you tighten up that head. Now they got these $300 hammers that are fine-tuned and balanced and one whack and my, my, my uh, grandson's got a, a hammer. He finds it under the porch. He hasn't seen it in a long time. $250 hammer. Laying it under the porch in the rain. What are you doing, man? You know, but, but we are the tool in God's hand. And God's going to make us usable. And God wants to make us usable. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much. He really does. I remember, I remember when Josh and Melissa were dating at Bob Jones University. Oh, no, I do. Melissa, Melissa would whisper sweet nothings in Josh's ear. Josh would whisper nothing at all. It was just, just nothing from him. He remember, look at him. He, 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 he's, he's living back. I remember outside in the parking lot by the dining commons. And, 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 and here comes Melissa. And all Josh wanted to do was go eat. Man, come on, it's time to eat, you know. And, and <laughs> Josh, did you ever think that you could love a woman as much as you love your wife? 49 years ago, I married Connie. I never thought it would be possible. And I meet these young couples. I think they got it all figured out. Oh, we know what love is. Man, you got to go through the fire before you know what love is. You got to go through the flood. You really do. And, and think about what Christ went through for us. Think about what he went through because he loved us. And when he allows us to go through things, and some of the hard things that he allows us to go through, why? Because we can appreciate then his love for us. Think about what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul had coming up. He had these things coming up, and it was going to be tough. And here he is, so concerned about the Ephesian church. He loved these people. Well, that's what Paul's trying to do is teach him. And I want to look at, 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 at God's love, the depth of God's love, from three perspectives. And the first one is before we were saved. You understand that God loved us before we were saved. But when we, when we, well, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Look at this verse. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I, I sing a song every once in a while, and, and I don't sing it very often anymore because I got new teeth and I can't sing as good as I used to but out of the ivory palaces into a world of both. Think about what Jesus left for us and what he went through for us. Verse 9, Hebrews chapter 2, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I have handed out probably close to 100,000 tracks on the streets of Ketchikan. I never, I never in the world thought I'd give strangers my picture. And I have never handed this to a person 
but I didn't think could get saved. Never. I remember once uh, um, um, I had, we, we were brand new in Greenville, and I was going to Bible school. Now, I was a 35-year-old freshman. I graduated from high school in 72. I graduated from Bible college in 92. That tells you how long it takes me to learn my lessons. And, and the pastor, because I had worked as a pastor in Alaska, the pastor of the church we were going asked me if I'd do follow-up visitation with his assistant. And I said, I'd be glad to. So we go to this house, and on the way to the house, the assistant pastor, Greg, says to me, he says, John, he said, it's a good thing that this lady's husband is not home because he's a transvestite. And if he was home, he may be dressed up like a woman. I said, Greg, it's a good thing. This is a good thing. We get to the house, knock on the door. She opens the door. She wanted to talk to Greg about smoking, Christians and smoking. So Greg was going to sit and, and give her some verses and some counsel on that. Of course, he had to have someone with him, and I went with him. And she introduced us to her sister. Her sister was sitting back at the kitchen table, and Greg's on the couch, and they're talking. Well, while I'm sitting there, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything here. I'm going to go back and talk to the sister and, and talk to her about the Lord. So I went back, had my little New Testament stuff, you know. And I said, hi, my name is John. I, I just thought I'd come back and talk to you about the Lord. And she went like this, and she scratched her head. But when she did, the whole thing went. You know where I'm going, don't you? And then I looked, and her hands were bigger than mine. And then I looked, and she had one of these apples that you ladies don't have. And it was him. Sitting at the table, it was him. Now, I, I have, you know, in the boat, I'm required to carry flares. I have flare prayers. I send them up. I hope that the Lord sees them and, and hears them and answers them. And I set up a flare prayer. Lord, help. And the only thing I could think to tell that man was that you have never committed a sin that God won't forgive. God will forgive any sin that you've ever committed. He said, I don't believe the Bible. I said, I don't care if you believe the Bible or not. I'm telling you the truth. And that was about the extent of our conversation. He just didn't want to talk to me anymore. You have never committed a sin that God won't forgive. And Christians get caught up in that. Christians do something that's really stupid. And all of a sudden, they, they, they feel dislodged from God. You see, in 2 Peter, there's a verse that goes something like, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I want to give you a quick lesson. I'm sure your pastor's taught you what repentance is, but this is repentance, and, and this is a great definition. Coming face-to-face -face with your sin in the presence of God. Where, where, where you, you see what I'm doing is not right. And you make a decision, a willful decision, I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to turn to God. That's repentance. I'm not going to look back. Any man plowing and, 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 and to the kingdom and, and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to repent. And that's what God would have all of us to do. God loves us. God commended his love toward us 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter five. It, it really, it's, it's a great truth. Jesus, th- th- this love is universal. Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. And Jesus is able to look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. This is, this is, this is the thing about John Judson. You want to know about my testimony. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Not only did he love me, he loved me when I was, when I was in sin, when I was putrid, when I was dead. He, he made me alive when I was dead. Think about this thing. Think about this thing, folks. It, it's hard for me to think about it. You have one child, and a man shoots and kills your child, your only child. And he comes to the door, and he knocks on your door, and you answer the door, and there's that man that shot and killed your child. How are you going to receive him? I got in trouble once. Well, I wasn't trouble. My pastor, my senior pastor's granddaughter, Kate, got into our Christian school, and I did a chapel. I told the kids in chapel that I was guilty of murder. So he called me that night, and apparently she, she really got into this thing. He said, John, do we need to talk about anything? I don't think so. I said, have you ever murdered anybody? I said, what? He said, you told the kids in chapel today that you're guilty of murder. I said, well, I said, because of my sins, Jesus had to die. So really, I'm guilty of murder where Jesus is concerned. And then I went to his father, and I asked his father to forgive me. What would you do if that man knocked on your door? You had the power like an like a electric bug zapper to just zap him. Don't you ever think that God didn't love Jesus? Don't you ever think that? Jesus is a part of that triunity that makes up the Godhead. And God turned his back on him and let him die for a worm like me? If you've never received Christ as your Savior, that's what God did for you. And then he says, then he beckons you. I forgive you, come to me. I forgive you, come to me. How the world can not do this, I don't know. I forgive you, come to me. God loves us. And he loved us before he got He loves us while we're getting saved. You know, he loved us enough to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like a catalyst. I, I, I have this degree. And, and, and in a chemical reaction, sometimes you, you throw in a catalyst to speed up the reaction, to speed up the chemical reaction. And uh, ladies will put uh, yeast in, in, the, in the dough to, in the, to, to, to make it rise, you know, and, and it speeds, and, and, and they'll do this thing, to, and they'll put heat and stuff to speed up the process. God did this with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for salvation. The Holy Spirit, Romans eight sixteen. when we don't even understand, when we just, the Spirit speaks to our spirit and convinces us that we're a child of God. 
I'll give you just a quick little test because in a couple of minutes I'm going to ask you, are you saved and do you want to get saved? Do you know that you know that you know? Do you know God saved you? Is it in, did you just know that? Nobody could talk out of it. Teaching in my Christian school, had a bunch of high schoolers. I love teaching junior high. I love teaching high schoolers. Somebody about, about uh, Carter's age, a junior in high school. His name was Kevin, big kid. Worked at Miller's Landing on the, on the uh, Susitna so River, and, and his, his dad owned a, a place. And he's sitting there, and I said, Kevin, I said, uh, uh, how, how do you know you're saved? Well, they called me Mr. J. He said, Mr. J, I just know. Well, well how do you know what the Bible says? Well, how do you know the Bible's right? How do you know? Well, well, my dad, the preacher, no, nah, don't give me that, Kevin. How do you know? Well, man, he just, and then all of a sudden, he just, leave me alone. I just know. I just know. That's how convinced you need to be of your salvation. I don't like it when an evangelist comes in and tries to unsave people so he can get them saved and put another notch in his belt. I don't like when they do that, but they do. But, but you know what? Every once in a while, you, just a gut check. Am, do I belong to God? Am I going to be with him? And the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can know. And we need to know, I've never doubted my salvation. And it's okay if you doubt it. It's okay. It's not, it's not a problem. You just got to make sure that you get it settled. You get into the Word of God. You get with your preacher. You get with a prayer partner. You get with somebody, and you get this thing settled. You need to do this. The Holy Spirit loves us. God loves us enough to send the Holy Spirit. He loves us enough not to list our sins. Now, all of you can quote John 3.16, I'm sure. Can you quote John 3.17? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is not interested in listing our sins. There's some pretty deep water between here and Ketchikan. And that water is shallow compared to the water that God put my sins and sunk them in. Never to come back up. As far as the east is from the west, my sins are from the Lord. A person came to me and, and, and they, were, they were hurting because they had sinned. And it was a serious sin. And I, I just don't feel like God forgave me. I said, well, and I knew the person. Have you received the Lord as your Savior? Well, yes, and I knew they had. But did God forgive your sin? You understand, uh, 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 I stole this cup. Lord, I stole this cup. I shouldn't have stole this cup. But I got saved. Lord, will you forgive me for stealing that cup? And God says, yeah, I'll forgive you. A week later, the devil reminds you, see that cup, John? You stole that. I'm so sorry. Lord, please forgive me. I stole that cup. You know what God says? What cup? What cup? What are you talking about? God has the ability to completely erase it from his memory. We used to say justified was just as if I'd never sinned. But Clarence Sexton wrote in one of his books, and I really liked it, it's just as if I'd never been a sinner. That's how God views us, just as if I'd never been a sinner. What a blessing that is to be able to say, okay, I need to move on. I really do. God's love has depth before we get saved, and when we get saved, God loves us after we get saved. There was a guy, my first year in Bible school, and again, I was an older student, so I made some different kind of friends and, and, and enjoyed my time there, but they brought in one of the board of directors uh, 
for, for, for the university. And he did a little devotional and preacher boys on Friday. And then they had a little question and answer time uh, between uh, uh, the, the kids, the students, and this guy. His name was Harry Love. Great big guy. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not, but, but a great big guy. And one of the kids raised his hand. He said, Dr. Love, he said, what's the number one lesson we need to learn here as preacher boys at Bob Jones University? And he looked down at boys. He said, boys, he said, the number one lesson I would teach you is about grace after salvation. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that because so many people in the churches I've been in have forgotten that. I'll never speak to them again. I can't believe they did that to me. We need to discipline them out of the church because they don't belong in the church. Now listen, I've, I've had my church discipline and I've done what I needed to do. But I have taught my church, you're not ready for discipline unless you're ready to restore. Thus saith the Lord. I mean, the, 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 the whole goal of discipline is restoration. It's not just to kick a guy out of the church. First church I took a senior pastor, they were bragging, they had like, eight church disciplines in, in, a, in, the, in the year before I got there, and I asked them a question. I said, how many baptisms have you had? And they hadn't had any. So all you're doing is burying your members, and you're not replacing them? You're not doing anything like this? Look at Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8. I love this so much. I need this. I need this so much. Romans 8, 35. Apostle Paul's talking to Christians. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, he says, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of, of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And, and here, listen to me. You get saved, and I hope you're saved this morning. And you sin. It happens. You know what Jesus did for his apostles? You know what he did for us? He washed their feet. Remember? And he got to Peter. Peter was last. Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. You ain't washing my feet, Lord. You're the Lord, and I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I should be washing yours. Peter, he said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have none of me. In other words, I'm your Savior. And if you don't let me forgive this sin, if you don't let me clean this up, this part of your body, Peter said, then wash all of me. Come on, give me it all. You know what he said? Jesus said, I already did that. It's got some dirt on your feet. And I need to get it off. He loved Peter. You know he loved Peter. Loved Peter so much he met him on the beach. And then Peter let him wash his feet. And he went on in fellowship with God. You got something going on in your life that, that ought not to be going on. You, that, it's so easy to fix. I know confession's hard because you got to admit and you got to account for it. And I, I understand all of that. But God stands at the portals of heaven, just waiting, just waiting to have communion with you. That's how much God loves you. 
He loves you so much he'd send some redneck like me into your life to just point out that maybe you got something going on that shouldn't be going on. Let's fix this thing and let's get it right and let's deepening and strengthen our relationship. Let's do that. Listen to this verse. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen to this verse. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but is a, um, a faithful who will, I'm sorry, uh, but, but will in all points um, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God, Jesus knows what it's like to be a man. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like. But he never sinned. He never sinned. And then he cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? You know why, you know why he had to go that far? I mean, he had to go that far so that he would never have to forsaken us. He took it all the way to the end. If you've got anything going on in your life, anything going on, that's how much God loves you. And I don't think I need to preach it here, but I will. Romans 8, 38 and 39 teach us that once you're saved, you're always saved. You are not going to lose it. You can't jump out of God's hand. You are in God's hand. No man will pluck you out of God's hand. And you can't jump out of God's hand. Probably one of the biggest arguments I've had the most times in Ketchikan is eternal security. But the Bible's too clear on this thing. Once we're saved, we're always saved. And God will never love you any less. I can't tell you how much I appreciate being here. I really can't. We're going to pray now. And, and, and I love you people. I, I want to get another look because I want to pray for you when I leave. I really do. And I want to remember you. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. I want to, before I pray, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I, I'm taking some liberty, and I hope the pastor doesn't mind. Is there anybody here that I can pray for about salvation? Is there anybody here that's not sure? If there is, would you just please, just slip, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, Unless you come to me, I'm not going to come to you, but I am going to pray for you. Anybody at all not sure that you're saved? This is so important. It really is. You know that you're going to be with God eternally. You're, you're convinced in your soul. Anybody at all not sure? Anybody here maybe got some dirty feet? Anybody here maybe got something they need to to get right with God so they can just get on with their Christian walk and just really serve the Lord. I, I, all I want to do is pray for you. I don't want to know what it is. Nothing like that. God knows, though. Let me tell you something right now. God knows. But I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Amen. Lord, thank you so much, Father God, for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for your love. Lord, Thank you for a church that loves its pastor, that loves each other, that loves fellowship, that loves me. Thank you so much for that. And I pray, Father God, by the grace of God, by your grace, that you would keep this church and protect this church, grow this church, and use this church. Let there be fruit for its labors. 
blessed now this time, and thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.